You're listening to The C-Dub Show. Visit us on the Say Something Nice podcast network at ssnpodcast.com. Follow us at The C-Dub Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Acast. And now, on to our show. Baby, when you look at me, are you looking with honesty in your heart? Is there really room for me to grow and be a part of your life? Or do you just want a one-night affair? Well, hello, 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 everyone, everyone. It is a new episode of the C-Dub Show. We are recording this live on September the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2019. It is almost, let's see, this is the second week of school, I guess. I can't keep trying no more because I ain't teaching no more. Look at that. Look at that. That's a mess. That's a mess. Um, so yeah, I have my friends online. This is going to be a weird episode, you all, because... Well, first of all, let's go ahead and, and introduce people. Hi, right, people. What's going on? All right. And the reason I said that it's a weird episode because we have a guest. And then apparently Willis is going to come on as a guest. So she, Willis is not on the line yet. But our guest, Stephanie from the Mocha Minute podcast, is on the line. Stephanie, please say hello to the people. Hello. I have to our, sing it. Uh, well, I heard something and I didn't get to check it out. But Stephanie, did you um, record a theme song for? So first of all, I'm sorry, Stephanie. Happy 100th episode of the Mocha Minutes podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Thank did you, you sing the theme to the 100th episode or something? What is what what was going on with the theme song? Okay, so for the 100th episode, we reviewed the Steven Universe movie, and there is a song in the movie. Uh, that was released as a, as a single because, of course, a song, and because I'm doing original music, I decided <laughs> to cover the, um, the song. And so I covered it as my intro for my 100th episode. So, Aww. Can you tell us what is the origin story of the Mocha Minute podcast? So the origin story is I'm listening to podcasts. I, um, I started with actually sports podcasts and then I found, you know, black podcast and I was listening to the black guy who tips and it was during one of his feedback shows and you know people write long emails and have long comments and he's like if y'all really have all these ideas and all these thoughts y'all really should start a podcast now mind you I was like he was not you know it's kind of like when you sit in church and you know the preacher just preaches and he's talking to everybody but you feel like it just was driving down your street that's how I felt driving down my street so I started with a friend and she just kind of reluctantly, and I don't say reluctantly because this is not what she wants to do. She reluctantly said yes, and she'd be my co-host. And then I took nine months to actually start the show. Third episode in, she was like, I'm sorry, I really don't want to do this. She's like, I really just think you should do it on your own. And then I realized, you know, and of course, of course, we're still friends. Teeth and hair fall out. Friends don't fall out for that kind of stuff. <laughs> Girl, not teeth and hair. Teeth and I'm hair. just saying. 
Not so all, all the hair can fall out, but not our friendship of almost, let's see, 2001. So 18 years. Okay. I feel it. So it was just like, yeah, no. So, you know, it, just, it was like, that's not worth ending a friendship over. And we're still friends to this day. And she's still very supportive. And I think that that was just like a blessing in disguise, mostly because I look at the growth of my show and the people that I've gotten to meet, not all in person, but, you know, over the internet, you know, Blue Ivy let us use the internet. And so, you know, sometimes we get to meet people, but, you know, once she like flipped that switch and turn off the internet, you hoes are in trouble. Right. She will shut this shit down. She's going to get tired of y'all talking about her daddy for like, and she's like, you know what? Y'all have made one too many camel jokes. Let's just shut this shit right on down. She prioritizes her daddy over her mama because the internet stands for her mama really hard. I know. But, you know, she might be a daddy's girl. We don't know yet. We don't know. I don't think so. Oh, well, you know what? True. I don't think, I I definitely think if it came down to, you got to pick a parent, it's definitely going to be Beyonce. I would pick Beyonce. I picked Beyonce over my own mom. So there's that. So. <laughs> the only reason I have hope that she would pick Beyonce is if she was one of the one of these regular girls growing up in some of these regular ass houses with these mamas with with these mamas that ain't teaching them a lot about, you know, how toxic their daddy is. And I can I can I can see her auntie and her mama over here like just telling her, like, you know what, you know your daddy ain't shit, right? I I can see them doing that. Not Agreed. her mama. Just shout out to Matthew Knowles of speaking of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have you, um, Stephanie. This is your second time on the show, but your first yes. time with Courtney. So this should be very fun. We call yep. uh, around here, we call Stephanie the Kip Porter of <laughs> Yes, that is me. Know my role. Oh, I don't have no time. It's too hot in the bay for this. All right. <laughs> So let's go ahead. This might be a hard, you know, check-ins are get check-ins are hard now. You know, Spotify, we love you. We're so happy that you have welcomed us into Spotify fans. Since like, we didn't have this crackdown on content and music and stuff, it, life just been hard. I'm, I thought about there's this one song I want to play, and I thought about Stephanie's story about you know singing the theme song on the Welcome in this podcast, and I said I was gonna sing the song, but I'm not gonna sing the song. <laughs> Um, so Courtney, what is a viral video or meme that has tickled your spirit this week? Um, my, the, the things that have really tickled me, um, and I know we're going to talk about it later, so I think I should save it. Basically all of the posts in regards to, um, the, the beef going on between uh, Sean King and uh, DeRay has me <laughs> quite tickled. And oh, it's, a it's, a, it's a lot going on. Uh, one that's not actually connected to that. There was a, a book, a sex ed book, a photo from a sex ed book. It was animated. So I'm going to say maybe it was for, for children, maybe maybe up to sixth grade. Oh, and, and the 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 anatomy is all wrong. One, the mom has a really long arm where it's touching the floor. Then it's showing that she's thirty weeks pregnant, but it has the baby sitting up right in her body. Uh, and it's just like this is why the kids think there's Plan Bs in pregnancy tests. 
because this is what they think toddlers sit upright and stretch all the way out down to the mother's legs. This is what you guys are teaching the youth. This is why they're confused. What in the absolute? What the hell? My mind can't even wrap my. It looks really, it looks really crazy, and I, I'm gonna share it with y'all because you're gonna be like, okay, so yeah. why is this like this? So, but it's just like this is, you know, people always talk shit about kids nowadays and the youth and da da da, da so on and so forth. But it's like, nigga, this is what you guys are teaching them. This is why they're so fucking confused. Saying teaching this them is, shit. This yeah. is it. This is the reason why. So, okay, I just I'm, I'm opening. What, what is it? Wait, what? Oh my god. She's like, sitting on a bouncy ball. What health class is that? And the and the baby is sitting in. The baby look like he got a cell phone in front of it. What is happening? That's what whole, in the, that's what in the invasion of the body snatchers is this. After 30 weeks of being pregnant, the baby is now fully formed inside of the lady's body and it will soon be time for the birthing. Um, why is she an alien? Why are her arms stretching all the way to the floor? <laughs> why is the baby a full-on toddler? Like, Why is he playing Candy Crush in her stomach? Why is he ordering Uber Eats in her stomach? I mean, I mean, the jokes will write themselves. It's like, come on. His head is bigger than her chest. I'm so confused. So that's how that's how kids think a baby is sitting inside you. Yep. Your baby is sitting in your breast. So if you poke if you poke a woman in the breast, you might feel the baby's forehead, according yep. to this. This yep. is like that episode of Good Times when they had that Ernie Barnes picture and they said his arm is longer than his butt. That's what her arm looked like. That is this is ridiculous. Vote for Kamala Harris. Because y'all <laughs> niggas need to go to jail. <laughs> Vote for Kamala Harris because you niggas need to go to go to jail. She will make sure y'all go to jail. Side note, and we're not gonna get into the debate because if we got into the debate, we would be here all night. Plus, I didn't really watch. I didn't actually. I fell asleep, and I'm like, I'm gonna watch. I'm like, but I'm gonna say this, and then my and then my sleeping pill kicked in, and I was like, nope. I'm gonna say this. I was at an organization. I can't give too much detail, but we were trying to figure out some punitive stuff in this organization and i'm over here being the mastermind of punitive like we should feed them to the dogs and and, and, da, 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 da. and they're like wow wow i said am i turning into kamala harris and i was like oh Aww. no i felt very much like a prosecutor or a judge or something because i was i was coming up with some very good uh punitive actions and i was mm. surprised myself anyway Stephanie, what is a viral video or meme that you have seen that has tickled your fancy this week? So I don't know. It's not, I don't know if it's viral, but it should be viral. So I have been cackling. I've been having a moment today. I've been having a depressive episode and I'm like trying to, I'm, I'm battling through it. So I follow Megan Thee Stallion and her best friend at, at, and her hairstylist, um, Jonathan. And let me just tell you, them fools make me laugh every <laughs> damn time. So today, I mean, well, Megan's on tour, and of course they are with her. They were in Niagara. They're on like a tour bus, and apparently they're supposed to be eating low carb. They're not supposed to be eating all this fat. They're not supposed to be eating sweets and like pizza and everything. So there's also somebody named Hot Girl Kelsey involved in this, and. You know, they're sneaking into bunks. 
Kelsey's trying to get Jonathan's pizza. He's like, stop it. Let me, give me those. She's like, give me, give me a bite. He said, here. She go, mm. And she go, bye. And she goes away. He's like, give me my food. Give me my food. It was so goddamn funny. I mean, I follow Megan Thee Stallion, but I don't really necessarily pay attention to everything she posts. So now I need to pay attention. Please watch her stories with Jonathan because he'd be like, (laughs) and then they were doing, um, facials and so they had like this clay mask how about homegirl left and then she jumped in the bed with him and was laying, laying on top she's like get off of me he's like get off of me how you gonna leave me with this stuff on my face what kind of i'm your client you can't just be leaving me without <laughs> taking this face off it's and then trying to dry the clay mask with a, a dag on dryer i said lord i can't they are so damn funny clearly he ain't been to a black hair salon because they will put some shit on your head and go get a whole meal, pick up their kids yeah. and everything. So clearly, I'm gonna go get something. You want something? Right. Oh, dear, now I'm just sitting here. Uh, uh, the bad part, I usually do. I'd be like, "Can you get me?" <laughs> I'm just sitting here with this perm on my head. It probably will burn while you gone, but you know, do you? Well, my favorite viral video or memes. It's been a couple, and I could not really choose. And y'all know me, my, my favorites always stem, you know, I want to say, all of my favorites, they always stem from church co- comedians and church videos. And when I saw my sister last month at my grandfather's funeral, we was riding around and just talking about church. And I was like, you know what? When we was little, we used to get in hella trouble for imitating people in church. And mm. now that's like a whole entertainment genre going on tours and stuff. And it's hard to break into that fucking genre. I'm sorry, Lord. It's hard to break into that genre. But anyway, a couple of my favorites, the one that I said I thought that I was going to have to sing is this lady. Somebody, Big Mama, has decided she's going to embark on her gospel music career in her nice Sunday blue uh, dress. And she's singing Mm. this song called, (laughs) If God Don't Do It, It Won't Get Done. And she got her her music video. She in the park walking around singing about God doing it and it's going to take a miracle. What he said, it's going to take a miracle for it to get done or something like that. But somebody turned this, of course, into a series of memes. So somebody took this lady video and put on top of it, how you going to pay all them student loans? And he said, if God don't do it, it won't get done. My second set of favorite memes is some dude. He now he normally have you ever seen a dude? His name I think Churchy for no reason, and he always is. He uses that. Um, what's that app where people be making choir videos? What's that app called? The acapella app. Choir video. Yeah, he like make hmm. these videos where he like resings all these church songs and they sing them in like he do a video himself in soprano, a video in alto, a video in tenor. So it's like a choir video, but he be remixing oh, the song. Right. But he got a new series called Real Church Members or Real Choir Members of Instagram. (laughs) And it's and it's the choir versus the praise team. But he take videos like reality shows and he did one with the clip of of Gail and Oprah and he turns it into choir members fighting with the praise team, which to me is a, a very serious internal battle because I in my mind, I hate praise teams. I really do. I feel they are ruining the church. So what? I feel the praise team is ruining the church. I'm I'm team church choir to the day I die. <laughs> Don't let no praise team come sing at my funeral. Church choirs all the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of going to these. I'm sick of going to these churches 
and they got just this three-person praise team singing. No. What happened to the 400-voice choir where only five of y'all could sing and y'all all had on the same uh, black uh, skirt and white top? What What happened? I'm team church choir. <laughs> and I'm serious about My sister tell y'all I'm very serious I'm about team. that. I'm team church choir. All right, well, let's go ahead and get into our first set of issues for the day. Courtney has already kind of leaned into it, and it's been so much going on that I'm definitely going to lean on two of you guys to tell the story because this is an ongoing issue. And I thought that Willis was going to make it in onto the show before we talked about it, but I have not seen her. But apparently the new name for the issue is called Woke Wars. Oh, so, can we go back to chicken wars? Chicken sandwich. I would. I prefer that. Oh, you know what? As a matter of fact, before we get into woke wars, everybody, everybody, and I can tell this story off the top of my head. So the last episode, we talked about the chicken wars between Popeyes and Chick Fil A. Now, in the interim period, Popeyes ran out of chicken. Okay, not chicken, but ran out of chicken sandwiches. All right. So, now, I had heard when I was in Louisiana that Popeyes wasn't really out of chicken. They just was telling people that because they didn't have enough chicken. That's what my local Popeyes contact, you know, I told you I lost my, my first tooth in a piece of Popeyes chicken. I have very deep connections at Popeyes. And my intel at Popeyes told me this. So, finally, Popeyes went public and said, well, we don't really have enough chicken, but what y'all can do, y'all can come to Popeyes and get a BYOB. <laughs> I would rather <laughs> die. Get a BYOB sandwich. A and they, they really have one. On bun. Y'all don't have enough chicken, but my bun will make it better. They Nigga. really, they really well, said it's the chicken. Logical sense. Like if you're out of chicken, you're out of chicken. Out of chicken? What you mean? They really, they really said. If you bring your own bun, what they're essentially going to do is arrange. They're going to cut up some chicken tenders for you. And they're going to arrange it properly, and that will, in fact, be a chicken sandwich. Y'all better enjoy that two for ten that they advertising and leave us alone. They said it's the chicken sandwich without the bun, the mayo, and the pickles. Mm, well, so what I'm gonna do for the people who love us, if you're, I'm, I hope that you're following us on Instagram on the C Dub Show. If you, you need to also be following me on C Dub the Host, and I always tell you at the end of every show what I'm going to do. On either Monday or Tuesday, I'm going to go to Popeye's and I'm going to try the BYOB BYOB sandwich. I'm going to go in there. I decided that I needed to be a King's Hawaiian roll because I love me some King Hawaiian roll slider. Mm, that'll be good. And that'll I'm going to get some King Hawaiian roll. I'm going to get my preferred mayo and my preferred pickles. And I'm going to go and I'm going to try to BYOB so sandwich. So get that brioche bun. Bring that brioche because they apparently don't have it. Oh, I didn't think about it. Maybe I should have a variety of buns. I mean, you get three chicken strips. So, I mean, you can have a variety. That's something to take into account. Did they ever say what the cost was going to be? Because I feel like it should be considerably cheaper given the work that needs to take place. Like, I have to support my bread properly to the location. I have to sit there. In fucking public and explain that I want you to arrange chicken tenders on my bread for me. Like there's just a lot of uh there's a there's a lot of labor involved in this. So I hope it's considerably cheaper than what a chicken sandwich would cost. I'm just gonna walk up in there with my Safeway bag, child, with my stuff. I'm gonna put my, my sandwich together right there in front of them so they know I'm doing labor and give me my 
fifteen dollars, however much per hour y'all make. Give that to me in cash. Cause I want it. So y'all follow me, cause I'm gonna go and I'm gonna put it on on the Instagram. Please do. Stuff. I can't wait. I'll be just like Jonathan. Friend. 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 I hate you so much. All right. So back to woke wars. Okay. So apparently, what was that on Friday? The I hate to use the word activist, but I mean we. I'm gonna use it. The activist DeRay McKesson, better known as the Blue Vest, decided that he had to, you know, it was incumbent upon him to support the community and telling us the truth about Sean King. Because so many people have questioned Sean King and, you know, we have inklings, but we don't really know the truth. And because he is a fellow activist, a fellow Twitterer, he needed to tell us the truth. So he went on Medium and he wrote an article. And it's long. And Sean King's subsequent follow-up is long. How long did you say his follow-up was? Was 35 minutes? Two minutes. Two minutes. I would rather die. So DeRay went on Twitter and he wrote this long-ass uh, medium uh, saying basically that, that, you know, Sean King lacks integrity. And he listed these points. I forgot five points, six points, ten points. I don't remember. All these points about how Sean King had duped the public, which is stuff we already say about Sean King anyway, but we're going to get into why that don't make good sense. How Sean King has duped the public and raised all this money, and he rules the line. And you know what I hate about both of them? They use lines that are very good lines. That, like, like it really gets to the heart of things. But y'all both fake as shit. He used some line about... Um, about raising money and about leadership and about how is it still leadership when you consistently fail or something like that. I forgot what the line was. It was a very good line, but Blue Vest, mm -mm. so Blue Vest did this and then Sean King back, came back with the 32 page where he also called out DeRay McKesson for lacking integrity for the community not supporting him. Basically all the same shit the Blue Vest said about him. And then later on, uh, Sean King, I guess his wife, which some people's wives need to do this sometimes, took over his Twitter and decided to defend the family through Sean King's Twitter. I need, I'm going to ask Courtney first, I need someone to fill in these holes and explain to me what the baking soda is going on. So from, I don't know if people remember uh, years ago, back during um the protest for justice for Mike Brown in Ferguson. Um, DeRay McKesson was out there, quote unquote, raising money for the family. He was not authorized to do that. He got called out for that. Also, he, um, through some form or fashion, thought he should become or somehow finesse his way into becoming the face of the Black Lives Matter movement. We all know that three Black queer women um, are the founders of Black Lives Matter and have always been at the center of Black Lives Matter. So essentially, uh, DeRay, um, also known as Vestubois. Um, <laughs> but don't, don't, give, don't give away all the names yet because we're going to go through all the names. So don't, <laughs> don't give away all the names. I'm going to turn on your back. Can you chill? Lights came in. Always coming in with the... Oh, oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, so, DeRay has a, a history of, you know, doing um, very, not very uh, 
integrity-driven moves when it comes to uh, social justice, when it comes to centering uh, Black lives. And then John King, there's there's been ongoing, um, what is the issue, sir? You having a problem? No? Just being dramatic? Okay. Um, there's been some ongoing questions around like um, his fundraising. I forget the exact cause, but um, it was another situation. A young black youth had lost their life. Sean was quote unquote raising money and was not authorized to do so. And when people were asking questions about where the money is going, he did not answer the questions. Then this report, supposedly this financial report was put out by people very close to him. It was in no way, no how, um, a free and clear unbiased report. I mean, there was a lot of conflicts of interest as far as who was reporting on the financials. So basically from what what is going on is both these niggas can't tell us where the money they've raised is going. <laughs> That's just Basically. what it is. They're they're both, and, and Brittany has a little bit more information because uh, DeRay, I know, did some bullshit out there in uh, Baltimore, from what I recall, with uh, the Freddie Gray riot. Um, he 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 got chased out of that situation too when they were protesting for justice for Freddie Gray. So essentially, both these niggas can't tell us where the money been going. And how y'all both gonna how y'all both gonna bring yourselves back to relevancy by fighting each other? Cause both of y'all ain't got no like if can't nobody find none of the money from neither one of y'all, and y'all just gonna go round and round and round. No, you tell us where your money is. No, you tell. It doesn't make good sense. And before I go to Stephanie, I want to say this: Baltimore, y'all got a history of y'all ran DeRay out, even though yeah, no, not ran him out, but I mean not letting him in certain spaces. Yeah. It ran out of uh, Reverend, what's his name? Jamal, uh, what's his name? Jamal Bryant. Jamal Bryant. Y'all be running niggas Charles out. Y'all Barkley. don't give no fucks about <laughs> nothing. People are like, I'm coming mm. here to help y'all. You're like, no, the fuck no, you no. ain't. It's like, no. It's, it's, it, <laughs> see, when you don't smell good, we like, nah, nigga, fuck you. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Stephanie, what is, your, what is your assessment of what's been going on in the Wolf Wars? <sighs> so, pretty much part of, so, this whole thing from DeRay really came out of left field, but the but the interesting part about it is a lot of the stuff in DeRay's piece are things that Black women on Twitter have literally been saying for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of it was interesting, especially the monetary part, is because part of that is the reason why he threatened litigation against Clarissa Brooks. See, this is the other thing. So when these questions came up about Sean King, he would just block people and or with Clarissa, he threatened litigation. And so it's interesting that instead of him threatening litigation with DeRay, he just put out another medium piece. That that is not lost on me because you're not threatening DeRay with litigation. But you know, you made it seem like you had to with Clarissa, a poor college student. Mm. So why are you going after her with both barrels? But DeRay, you just like, I'm going to put on a medium piece and this is going to shut y'all down. Um, nigga, it's medium. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, yeah, DeRay wrote this piece that he cobbled together on his own. He was calling like, out my, wow. my, he was, he was like, uh, DeRay, no, somebody helped him do it. So this folks, is also my thing about DeRay's piece. 
So uh, one of my uh, colleagues sent it to me when it came out. It's like, have you seen this? And I was like, DeRay wrote some shit about Sean King. Like, nigga, do you really want to do this to yourself, first and foremost? But DeRay had, you know, receipts. It's like, I was filled with receipts. And this is my thing about missing money and receipts. At some point, it starts to appear that you know where all the bodies are buried because your ass had a shovel too. Right. So right. That's kind of my thing. Like, you know all these five, six points. You know Both all, of all of this shit, but your hands is clean? That don't make no sense. Ask all of Trump's cronies. They know all this shit because they was all in the room when it was going down. So it, it so all begs the question is where from, from, I mean, we know where the criticism of Sean King came from. And honestly, also in his piece, I got sick of reading about him and Rihanna and them being friends. Now you got me starting to question Rihanna. But we're not going to nah. go down that road either. Um, but y'all going back and forth like y'all either best friends or something else that I'm not going to say because this is a queer positive show and I'm not going to repeat uh, homophobic shit, but we know what people said about why are they fighting each other, and I'm just gonna leave that there. But it starts with y'all, like y'all too close. Why, why are y'all so wrapped up in each other that y'all gotta, y'all gotta beat each other up when don't nobody fuck with none of y'all? That's so, the thing that yeah, killed me. So that part, because I remember the Ferguson stuff and him getting ran out, and I remember him getting chased out during his book tour. So it was kind of like that happened and then it kind of shit went quiet with DeRay. Then right. the whole thing with Planet of the Apes and he was like, y'all making fun of me. And it's like, nigga, what the hell are you doing? And so it was an uproar and then it got quiet. People just kind of leave DeRay alone because usually he on the right side of shit for the most part. And people like kind of forget about how it's literally like the situation is like Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> Except I feel like, you know. And, and fighting Sean, over which one of them is bigger celebrities, too, by the way, because Sean King's piece was all about validating his fucking celebrity, too. And sure about, and, and about, and like, about I telling. I got tired of reading it when he said, first of all, DeRay, he's like, and the, the, the claims of me stealing money. First of all, DeRay, fuck you. I said, wait. Right. See? What is going on? When he was talking about, I think it's just because I got honored by by Rihanna and he and he didn't. Okay. Wait. But can we can I just like can I do a a, a dramatization of so I can just see Sean writing at Please his do. at his probably a desktop. And he's like, <laughs> His Dell 98 desktop. No, it's not a 98. I was about to say it's Windows 95. It's Windows 95. It's like, I, you know, he ruined one of the most important nights for Rihanna, who is a close friend of mine. And now instead of people being able to focus on the cause of climate change and Hurricane Dorian, the guests were being bombarded with questions about me. And oh, the fuck they were. They you know, were you know what it sound like? No, you know what it sound like? It sound like Pierre Delacroix in Bamboozle. <laughs> me, Delacroix. I did it. I wrote it. I produced it. Like, oh my God. Like, no one, no one was asking fucking Jada Pinkett Smith about you. Calm Nobody. down. No one was asking people. The press is bombarding people with questions. No, they no one could enjoy no, this very weren't. big night. No one dragged Cardi B to the side to ask her, Cardi, 
What is your, what's your feedback on this Sean King situation? No one's asking about you. Nigga, no one was paying any attention to you. And part they of it is They want to know where Rihanna's album is. That was the biggest question. Are we getting a new album? And part you of it is sex. a black woman or not? Like, help us. Okay, this is the part. Because really, folks, there's no resolution at this point. They're still, from what I understand, they're still going. I mean, we're and really, it's mostly and, us. And Ray is still <laughs> is still tweeting. Wait, is I she think still he tweeting? May, wait, I think he may have taken it back now. I don't know. I blocked Sean King. So, you know, I don't know. So, wait a minute. So, like, uh, like I said, folks, I've been out driving, lifting, sleeping for the last few days, you know, because some of us actually do struggle. So, <laughs> so I kind of have missed. I know that there's the point where Ray took over his Twitter to defend the family, but what was her like? What what the fuck was she talking about? Um, she was talking about my husband is a piece of shit for y'all. Our, our, our whole life is a piece of shit, and he cares so much about y'all. He is a piece of shit husband. That is a paraphrasing of that long ass thread. Like he ignores his his husbandly duties. So, like, so basically, he's a terrible husband, but we should go sorry for y'all. I'm so confused. What, ma'am, why don't you, where are your friends? <laughs> who was where, there to take over your Twitter? Girl, give me your phone. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I mean, my whole thing with Sean King has always been, I honestly, between reading the two articles, I learned more about supposedly what Sean King is supposed to do than, than I ever have before. Because to me, all he do is repost traumatic black trauma videos. I mean, I can do that. I got the repost app on my iPad. Right. I was like, that's why I really did block him. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't watch black trauma porn. I can't do it. Oh, jeez. I was like, and I'm like, this is not. And now I think he's saying, I think this is recently that he's going back because, you know, screenshots. This is how I see this shit. Not that I'm looking at this thing, that I'm looking at screenshots where he is saying, I'm going to go back to loving my wife for 22 plus years and raising my kids. Um, She said, you're a piece of shit. So I feel like you should literally just worry about your goddamn kids. Like, hey, ma'am, sir, get off of Twitter. You could have, de- excuse me, Jackie, I need deactivated. Why didn't you? Maybe he needs to rededicate his life to the Lord like me. Okay. If nope. You no, you won't. <laughs> I don't want any of those problems. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, also, I'm not going to be talking about it, but Sean King isn't black, right? Like, no one. So right. I, I really, really don't like tiptoeing that because I'm like, oh, because there's so many biracial activists out there Is that I'm like, I can't though? do that. I don't want to. I don't want to weigh his blackness. So for me, that's where I checked out on the but, Sean King thing. So, so, but I will. I will. The jokes will fly. But I'll be like, yeah, I'm not. No, gonna but he's that. biracial then, because people are like he's not. I don't mean. Is he black? Because some people will say bi- biracial people are not black, mm-hmm. or you might be biracial. I like have a full black parent, a full white or non-black person, a color parent. But if you don't present black, then you're not black. I don't necessarily feel that way. But my question is really seriously about his like genetic makeup. Is he black or not? <laughs> no, he is saying that he is. No, the rumors about him actually being a white person, honestly, <laughs> was, was apparently started by right-wing white people. Oh, okay. Which is funny. When you, when you think about it, you're just like, wait, 
wait, white people started this? White right. people start a lot of shit. I mean, white people, the ones, they the ones that always start to question, not always, but a lot of times, about whether or not a person is black enough for you to be supporting them. They did it with Obama. They're doing it currently with Kamala, even though she, in some places she also doesn't need that help. But they they do do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think he is. But I, it, I mean, I don't know. They, they, he spells Sean with a U. That's pretty black. So I mean. <laughs> yeah. Now, but if it was like Sean black, with a S-C-A-N. I feel like the black spelling is with a W. So I don't it know. Is. It well, is. Sean with a, is. Well, Sean Black is always with an H. So whether it's A-W or A-U, it's always with an H. Now, right. White Sean, okay, white true, Sean true. is the S-E-A. Yes. Okay, that's right. So if it has an H and an A, you good. But now people have actually called into into examination, we'll say, whether or not he is black in this respect because of the way that he has been speaking in regards to black women. And also Mm -hmm. really the concept of his black wife deciding that she needs to then come to his defense as a white man. It gets a little bit complicated. I mean... Excuse me. I have friends who are, you know, white allies who do social justice work and anti-racism mm-hmm. work who mm-hmm. are amazing. But for me, I don't know if it's because they're my friends. They don't behave the way that Sean King behaves. Like Correct. one of my very good friends who actually brought me into color of change to do the work with Facebook censorship is a white dude. And he's talked to me a lot about what he be- believes his role is as a white ally doing this work and, and, and all things. And he is actually like, he's an, I don't know if you call him an executive, but he's like a director over there, but he's still, he, I'm still an ally. Like I use my, when I need my whiteness to get us into spaces so that we can get people of color in to do this work. I do what I need to do as an ally. To me, Sean King never really comes off as an ally. He come off, if he white, he come off as somebody trying to be a savior. But I could be wrong about that. Mm. I mean, it's like he gives me John B vibes, but mm-hmm. then it's like I don't know. Them haircuts might, will do it. Yeah, if you go to you a good black barber, that'll do it. Yeah, it's like, but he might be Mexican, so I mean, it's just kind of hard to tell. Well, but, one day we do have to have that conversation, and you know, we uh, laugh about or make jokes about you know, a black barber was able to do it. But really a lot of non-black folks get over by going to black barbers and quote unquote getting black haircuts so that they can pass as black light skinned folks. Yikes. Mm. Was that too much? Should I edit that no, out? No, no. It's, um, <laughs> we don't have a we don't have a line here. We don't have the line. We, we don't have a line. The limit does not exist. The limit does not exist. Ain't that what's that? The 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 matrix. Okay, no, the most important neither. thing in this has been the names. So, like I said, I've been out the loop. Y'all, y'all run me down these names. We already have, we've been had W E B DeBlanc long time ago and Talcum X long time ago. What's these new names? Wait, wait. So I got I got I got a few. So okay. uh, so they uh, I saw Snow J Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alexander Scamilton was another. W. E. B. Du Bleach was oh, another. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Hewless P. Newton. I almost spit out my water. <laughs> Thurgood Partial. Yeah. Oh. Lanes Baldwin. Lanes. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Luther Cream. 
internet. <laughs> Those are also they. Someone took uh, the Black Panther, uh, uh, a Marvel kind of a promotional uh, picture, photoshopped his head onto T'Challa's body, and called it Black Panther. Oh, okay. Talking about Wakanda forever. Oh no. Okay. So I have Blankston Hughes. Blankston, what? Iggy Apalia. (laughs) James Pearl Jones. James. (laughs) Ghost Malone. Cream Abdul Jabbar. Tupac Sugar. I don't don't have no. Chalka Khan. (laughs) And the Khan is C O N. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So somebody also, I also saw a name for um, his wife, and someone called her Coretta Scott Scheme. And I um, I was fucking cooked. I'm like, good night. Good night. I got to go. Nope. Mm mm. Because at the end of the day, a lot of this shit between the two of them, like we said, y'all don't even have respect like that in the community no more. Like, nobody really, we just sitting, we all just sitting back here with a cup of tea. Like, let me just watch this shit. Because somebody, some kind of way, folks in the community ain't getting the money. And, and I think the the saddest part about this is, is that you watch activist beef which is more like the impossible burger because of all the bullshit between both of them. <laughs> Where it's kind of like you go, both of them aren't, it, it literally is watching like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man versus the Tom Holland Spider-Man. It's like, uh, okay, <laughs> y'all both Spider-Man in this. What, what are we doing? But, like, I had described it on my Facebook as, like, when, like, the two cousins everybody hates gets into a fight in the holidays and nobody comes to break up the fight because you're hoping both of them somehow lose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like, I'm not getting involved with this shit. Not and they at all. saying, so many people told me not to write this. It's like. Both of them. Both of them. Somebody told me not to write this. Somebody, why are y'all not listening to y'all friends? Who who told you not to write this? Name name one who person. Who are you right exactly? Who are these tons of people besides nobody? Like I don't believe either one of you have tons of friends who care anything about this. I refuse to believe that. But also for me, like as a, a leader or in Burgundy, well already leader, but I mean going into different arenas. I think the thing that always makes my nerves bad, the thing that I always worry about, and Courtney talks about this too, and we talk about like going through the programs and stuff, you know, the shit that you did, it's going to always come back. Like you go back and clean up your mess. Mm-hmm. Make sure that what you're, even like, you know, we learning this with, with folks like Kamala on the, you know, the debate shade, whatever you doing today in 2019, just keep your shit clean, bro. Like, it works. That's why when I go into organizations, I don't want to touch nobody's money. I I, I mean, I'm already not good at math, so I don't <laughs> want to touch nobody's money because that's the kind of like that's the kind of shit that come back on you. And it was one one accusation I don't forget. I think it was Sean King had it in his 
talking about uh, Duran had gave him an accusation, but it was for three dollars and it was a mistake and it was cleared up. I was like, so we just going all the way, whittling all the way so down to three like, fucking so dollars. You, people question you about thousands of dollars. <laughs> you still didn't talk about, and also your report that you talk about, and we put it out in August, baby. You said you were doing it so March first. No, I didn't make you. You said March 1st. And then people were like, where's the report? You came out of August and said, see y'all, I was on the up and up that you are like months late for. Yeah. Like, what, what are we doing, fam? I'm like, I feel like in this little like MMA fight, I feel like DeRay has a little bit more stuff considering that all the people that like said, hey, I helped him with this. Mm-hmm. And these are the same people who have been questioning Sean forever, 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 and just keep getting blocked and or threatened with litigation. So I feel like it's more people questioning Sean than it is DeRay, but it may just be the way that my timeline is cultivated. Mm-hmm. So well, it's I, like, and I, I'm not saying that nobody don't have no problem with DeRay, but it's more like, it seems like more people have a problem with Sean because he don't address nothing. And if he do, he just block it and say, y'all just jealous because I know Rihanna. Pretty much. It's like, well, I, I, well, I, I, and that's the thing. That's the difference between his piece and DeRay's piece. He wasn't saying, I know all these people. He was just saying, here are the questions that everybody has. Right. That people keep sending me. Everyone sending me all these questions about DeRay to my email. Ain't nobody emailing you about DeRay. Nobody, nobody emailing really nobody. you about DeRay. They just tweet nobody. at his ass. What we doing, fam? Right. So I would like to give this last word since Willis didn't make it into the conversation. She says, bottom line, her thoughts are just remind the people that DeRay ain't shit either. <laughs> and the fact that he commented on somebody's lack of integrity is the ironist of ironies. Well, there you go. Yeah. That sums up these last 30 minutes in a nutshell. So let's move on. All right. It's been, a, you know, this week. Black men, y'all been kind of losing this week because y'all been um, doing some fuck shit left, right, and center. We gonna go into some other shit having to do with our good LGBTs. Y'all not gonna get that LGBTs joke, but it comes from one of our city councilmen here in Richmond who was trying to show that he supported the community. And, <laughs> LGBT. and he was like, I don't have no problem with the LGBTs. I said, I don't have no time. You're 90. You are 90. And I'm, oh, I'm not an LGBT alphabet people, so. <laughs> oh, God. So, recently, the actor Malik Yova, who is so funny, they keep referring him to as the Empire actor, but he didn't get killed in the first season. Anyway. Yes, he did. <laughs> anyway. He was on Empire? Yes, he was. The first season. I don't even remember that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, the actor Malik Yoba. Um, of New York undercover at Empire fame posted a video of a young man appearing to be the target of bullying outside of a Philadelphia store. The 20-year-old was Maurice Willoughby, an aspiring rapper who has faced backlash after declaring his love for his transgender girlfriend. Willoughby Not subsequently... Even why he killed himself, but we go gonna on. get into that too. Right. Willoughby subsequently killed himself, which led to Yoba's profession of his attraction to transgender women and it came at a time when discussions about black men's masculinity, sexuality, and shame have garnered more attention following Willoughby's death. Um, I'm trying to think. Should we go into this before we... Let's go on into the Breakfast Club video anyway. So he later goes on to the Breakfast Club where they have this very... It was actually a very good discussion between himself, 
Um, DJ Envy, Charlemagne the Guy, David Johns from the National Black Justice Coalition, and um, two other trans women activists. And I apologize for if they are listening to this because I did not bring up their name, but I will bring them up while we are talking about this. But they had a very good discussion about it. But the reason that they had to go on The Breakfast Club is because after Malik Yoba came out as trans attractive, which we're going to get into because David Johns, they had a discussion about not calling it trans attractive. Um, after he came out, there was a story that came out from a local or New York trans woman who says that when she was a young girl, she was actually sexually abused by Malik Yoba, as in he was purchasing her, purchasing her, her, her um, services for sex when she was about 13 years old. Um, and it led into a significant amount of course, backlash mm-hmm. back. In, you know, the backlash for this has been weird. And this is what we're going to discuss because you have, I've been, I've had people backlash me. Because <laughs> there's, there's a couple of different ways to look at this scenario. You have Malik Yoba that comes out as trans attracted, and then there's this story about this girl who says that she was sexually abused by him. Now, when he was on the Breakfast Club, and he he didn't really get too much into the accusations, but he went full on Brett Kavanaugh. He mm-hmm. was like, "How dare you!" I, mean, I know that I am, you know, this guy that you knew from New York Undercover. I was the first black man. Blah 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 blah. blah, blah, blah. And then he goes into celebrating himself. So I want to ask you all, and I'm this time going to start with Stephanie, because we had this conversation over on the Mocha Menace podcast. We were talking about trans women. It seems as if it seems that there's this big push to try and celebrate Maliko, which is great. Like he, the thing about his interview was he talked about how he's actually been in the community since the '90s. Like he went to high school with Octavia Saint Laurent from Paris is Burning, and all this kind of stuff. And he talks about, you know, the, the the not feeling free enough to be out as a man who dates trans women, all of these good things. But at the same time, how do we hold his openness and the, the conversations that he is starting with what may have been in a, a, a past as far as sexually assaulting trans girls? So, you know what? It is so... And again, I will thank you for being on the show when we talked about this because we, I think the other problem of the Breakfast Club interview is because every time, and I mean every goddamn time, you have a trans person coming on there, it is always trans one on one. Yeah. And I'm like, which is why when I ask people to come on the show, even though I had Diamond Styles, who wrote a piece about Dave Chappelle in essence, I didn't want her doing trans one-on-one because I'm like, I think we're past this shit. But the fact that everybody got to come on this fucking show and do trans one-on-one as if these nignogs, these niggers have never heard what the fuck every trans person has said on that goddamn show is infuriating. And the fact that Malik Yoba is now being centered around this is troublesome to me. It was also troublesome to me that the people that were talking the most during this whole conversation was him and David Johns, even though David Johns is head of an organization and he is part of the community. I still feel like it should have been more trans women there. And they called him out on that, too. There was a point towards like 45 minutes in. But no, I should say they called him out. Charlemagne called himself out. And said, you know, you guys being real men right now, you're dominating the conversation. And then the women were just like, yeah. And it's like, for real. I know it's that 10 minutes in. What are we doing? Right. But anyway, go ahead, Stephanie. I'm sorry. Keep going. So, 
No, it's no, it's totally fine. And I'm sitting here like every and even though I know who Carmen Carrera is, I feel like in the grand scheme of things, as much as I like her, she I understand to a certain extent, I understand why she was there, because for Malik, it was like, even though he mentioned that he went to high school with a black trans woman, you didn't bring you attributed Carmen Carrera to you being involved and being right. here, which is like very interesting that you framed it that way. I still feel like there could have been more black trans women and there are tons of black trans women activists out there that you could have called upon. I'm pretty sure David Johns knows some people. Oh, so yeah. I don't know why you didn't involve more women. So it, because one, when Charlemagne said that shit about Tommy Lauren and said black women need to act like them, he didn't bring no black man with them. He brought those three black women on there and that was period. You could have just brought some black trans women in there to give you trans one-on-one because for some odd reasons, shit go in one end out the other with your ass. Because they have had fucking uh, Janet Mock on there. I want to say, has Laverne Cox been on there? I can't remember. I think she, I think she may have, but I don't remember. But I know for certain Janet Mock has been there. And they ask there. the same fuck. But this is what I've learned about when it comes to talking to black men about trans identity is that... And it's not even just trans identity. I've learned the same way that we talk about white people and being anti-racist versus not racist. That's the same way they are about homophobia and transphobia. Their conversations are not about learning. Their conversations is about validating how they feel. Because the first thing, well, don't you think some of them trick people? No, nobody's tricking nobody. Nobody. And then they start asking about you. I was so happy when David John said, we got to get past this obsession with people's dicks. Because that's what it is. That's that's yeah. basically what it is. Um, Courtney, did you have a chance to actually listen to the the um the interview or what are your thoughts on the Malik Yoga situation? So I my feelings are yes, Kayla, you can drink your juice. Um my my feelings can you hold a cup? Black men interrupting black women. <laughs> I'm being silenced right now by four-year-old black man. Trying to his 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 whole focus his is needs on come first. <laughs> um, so um, I don't know if I'm being overly sensitive. Like I'm a cisgender woman, and I have an issue with people calling it trans attractive because mm-hmm. I feel like one, you're still othering trans women. Like if you feel like they're mm. women, then you don't need you shouldn't feel the need to say trans attractive. You can just say, I've dated both cisgender and trans women. You can say that if you want to make a, a differentiary, you know, announcement. But I don't like this trans attracted. Um, I don't like that. I, I feel like it's othering and I don't like that. And they discussed that they came to a cup. What was they came to one that was they talked about it and they explained why. It can be a, a term, like you said, fetishization. And they talked about how spoken in particular context, it's more of you saying that you want to be with trans women in the dark versus actually building relationships. Right. And then also now what was very interesting to your point, and I'm going to let you get back to it, but to your point also, I noticed how much Malik Yoba kept pushing back as far as, like he wants to be centered in this conversation in the community. But he was very hesitant to identify as actually queer. 
Like he he wanted and he said it several times. He wanted to make sure that people knew that he was a heterosexual man. Because I, I think that's also the interesting part about this whole conversation. So I agree with Courtney on it feels weird because I'll, I'll use myself as an own. If I see a trans man, all I'm seeing is an attractive man. Right. That's all I see. And they're like, oh, well, that's a trans man. I'm like, that doesn't stop him from being hot. And that doesn't stop me from being attracted to him. Because mainly when you're seeing people and you're attracted to them for the first time, their genitals are or their assigned gender at birth is not you're not going all up into that it's just you see a person that you're attracted to i'm a woman i see men i find men attractive i'm heterosexual that's what it means period yeah so for me it's like to make it an othering it's like well what are you trying to say like because to me when he's saying trans attracted it does come off like He's interested in trans women specifically around fetishization, and it does happen has something to do with the genitalia. That's mm-hmm. what it does come off to me, or else you would just say, I've seen women that I found attractive. Some of them are cisgender women, some of them are trans women. But if you're attracted to the femininity presentation, yeah, obviously you're straight. But then him going deeper into it makes it does seem like there's something there, and it is something about the dick. So it's like, well, what are you trying to really say here? I would, what are you saying? And then as far as the young woman who came out, who said, you know, he would be down on the stroll where young trans girls who were being trafficked were, and he would solicit them. I, and I don't know if I'm censoring myself and I don't want to come off that I'm being insensitive. I feel like I want to have... I feel like that's in a separate realm because I feel like whether he's trans attracted or whatever that means or whatever, however he's identifying that him being a predator and buying young girls, whether they're cisgender or transgender to me, that's him being a predator that it, and and I know Carolyn, we had a conversation about this on Facebook where it's like when people are trying to figure out what, what they're attracted to, the realms of sexuality, whatever that might mean, they do, in fact, seek out sometimes sex workers to figure that out, whatever that might mean. And I understand that, too, but I feel like there's something specific about choosing young people, whether that's young young boys, young girls, whether they're cisgender or trans. There's something about that predatory piece that I feel like that's something different because mm-hmm. I feel like you're buying young people, underage people. You could tell when people, and we're talking about somebody who was 13. I don't give a shit how much makeup you put on a 13 year old. You can tell uh, a, a eighth grader is an eighth grader. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't care what the predators say online. You know, a young girl, when you see one, no matter how much makeup and hair and however she, whatever clothes she got on, you can tell that. And I feel like I also don't want, to you know people always try to overarch people who are queer or they are homosexual they always try to arch that into pedophilia Mm -hmm. and that bothers me because it's like no that's not what that is a consenting adult relationship is a consenting adult relationship no matter who you're attracted to who you're involved with consenting adults is consenting adults and you need to leave that alone but i i feel like the predatory piece needs to be addressed based on the fact that it's 
he was being a predator, Mm -hmm. not necessarily who he was choosing. But I understand what you were saying, Carolyn, where it's like when people are feel like they have to keep their stuff, whatever their stuff may be in the dark, they do tend to pick out vulnerable people. And since he was already on New York undercover when the stuff was going on, it would make sense that he would choose vulnerable children who are already being trafficked, who are already um, the young woman who was talking about how he was, quote unquote, a client. She was living in a foster home. So we're talking about kids who are already coming from very, you know, embattled households. They might have run away. They're using this as a way to support themselves while they're on the streets, while they're trying to figure out what they're doing. We also know that a lot of LGBTQIA teens are kicked out of their homes if their parents are suspecting that they are queer, if they're, you know, they come out to their families, that they're pushed out onto the streets. So we don't know how she necessarily ended up there, but we do know you don't usually end up in a foster home because everything's okay at your biological parents' home. Well, mm-hmm. that's what makes it so interesting because, I mean, and I think I said this, I don't know where I said it, but I talked about how judging by her timeline, of course, it would have been during the same timeline as Pose, during the same time timeline as Paris is Burning. So we kind of know, we kind of know what that story was. We know that they were, and now we know from the interview with the Breakfast Club that he was frequenting the balls. In mm-hmm. in ninety two, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. This, this could be either somebody. I remember watching Paris is Burning. They have those two kids at the end of Paris is Burning, and he they say, "How old are you?" I'm thirteen. They say, Where, "Where's your parents?" I don't have parents. They say, well, "Where's your mom?" I don't have a mom. Where's your dad? My dad's gone. And you know, these are the kids that slept at the piers. They, they call it the under twenty ones. I never knew what they meant. I guess that's a New York thing. But we kind of know the story. So the question then becomes, because, I, you know, and we did have this conversation, Courtney, and I t- definitely took to heart the same thing that you just said. And my question is, how do we, right now, guys like Malik Yoba and Maurice Willoughby are being not just celebrated, but they're being made the face of what is, I don't want to call it a movement just yet, but they're being made the face of a cause. But these are both two, whether it's the Malik Yoba situation, but also a lot of people are failing to acknowledge the fact that um, Maurice's girlfriend came out and said the reason he actually killed himself was because he was abusing her. Right. She ran away from him and he wouldn't come back and then he killed himself. So right. we have two men who are who have been possibly, one definitely uh, one possibly been abusive to their trans girlfriends mm-hmm. for a conversation that we need to have like it's like it's good that we're having it but like Especially with Malik, he was really like he was very Brett Kavanaugh in that interview when he got to that subject. Like he is very in his shit right now as far as being the face, which he says all the right things about how mm-hmm. a cis man needs to stand. Like we need cis men to stand up, and we need cis men to do this and blah blah blah, and, and educating Charlemagne about what cisgender is because clearly Charlemagne didn't hear it when Janet Mock said it, and. <laughs> Because he didn't care when she fucking said it. Right, but it's almost like Malik wants, like, it's almost like he wants another another form of celebrity from this. It's, like, really weird, and I'm trying to I'm trying to put it together in my head. Did anybody else get that kind of feeling from the interview? Oh, I absolutely did. Because the thing about it is, if Malik Yoba hadn't said any of this shit, there would not have been that conversation on The Breakfast Club. So it's like, even though Charlamagne did this half-assed thing of saying oh, we're not letting the women talk. I'm like, but if it wasn't for Malik Yoba, we wouldn't be having a conversation. So why are you making it seem like 
you are doing this for their benefit when you're really doing it for Malik's. Right. Mm-hmm. I have a big problem with that. It seems like Malik is doing it more for Malik as well. Somebody said that a lot of times when people just, well, it wasn't out of the blue. He did say finally that it was up to the, I guess there is a, uh, there's always a trans mark, but I guess there's a bigger trans mark that was supposed to happen that him and Carmen were a part of. I'm not sure. I've heard a little bit about it, but mostly from trans activists that I know that were not in, included as they should have been. So that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. Um, oh, this is getting old. Well, I don't know. This is getting so So the other thing was that he, yeah, so apparently it's happening, I think, next weekend. It's probably like the 26th or something. So it's coming up. So he was on uh, Homegirl that used to be on React. Real Housewives, she had a conversation and then she, oh God, what the hell is that girl's name? Which Real Housewives? (laughs) The Real Housewives of Atlanta. She was on that for like a season. She got into it with Nene. She was Kenya Moore's friend. Not not my way. Oh my gosh. Claudia Jordan. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So she put on this Instagram this weird question after she met with um, Malik and he was talking about the trans march where she was talking about, I mean, she had these weird genitalia questions and I'm sitting here like, please stop this. Get over your obsession with <laughs> dicks. Weird genitalia questions. Weird genitalia questions like... So she was saying like if it's a trans woman are we saying it's a woman or are we saying it's a man with breasts i mean it's just a question oh what the fuck God. is wrong with oh. you and it's always about any part of, it's always restating of genitalia question it's mm. always so are they are they trans if you know they still have a you know and it's like oh, Jesus why do you care why do people care so much so one thing that Malik touched on that I, I do agree with, and so many black women have felt so attacked, but he, Caleb, I, do it look like I know where your dumb truck is at? Black mothering moments. Come on, black mama. Bring this moment. I know where that is. Go look for it. You and the kids were playing in your room all day. Go look for it. I don't know where it is. <laughs> you know every goddamn. I know nothing. I don't know a damn thing. I don't know where any of your shit is. So. <laughs> Lord. I'm bringing somebody else up into this madness. And she goes, mommy, where's my girl? I don't know. I don't know where nothing is at. I know nothing. Courtney is so, bringing another person in the world. <laughs> so. So he was saying, you know, and he he geared it towards black women. So black women got kind of bent out of shape that Mm -hmm. black women shame black men about being, quote unquote, trans attracted. So black women everywhere went the fuck off Mm -hmm. because it was this weird pushback is always based around your pussy. Correct. Mm-hmm. Sick of women because it it's one, it's I had made a post about this before Malik had even came out saying all this. Cause it's like 
every time trans women want, especially black trans women, and I feel specifically, I'm a black woman, so this is a black womanhood issue. And mm-hmm. we talk about the way black trans women are being murdered. And I'm like, you're not for black people if you're not for all black people. Everybody, so the right. fact that we have black trans women getting murdered and ignored and misgendered and getting killed and horrified. I mean, being murdered, period, is trash, obviously. But it's like being dismembered and set on fire. It's just really heinous, horrible type of torturous ways. And anytime this comes up, there's women in the comments like, do you have a period? Have you given birth? Do you wear a bra? Like, it's like, bitch, get over your dry ass pussy and grow up. Like that like post that I put up the other day. You have that's what you hang your hat on. Then your little dry ass pussy and your ugly ass kids. Good job, good fucking job. Like, Let nigga nut in you, and now you got some kids. Like round of applause, folks. ho. Side like, note, folks. So the other day I put up a post about Pose actor, the former Candy, um, Angelica Ross, and how she called out BET for not including trans women in Black Girls Rock. Which doesn't Correct. make good sense because right now, black trans women, black queer women, especially black trans women, are the most powerful women or the most powerful black women in Hollywood right now. How mm-hmm. you would, why you would um, ignore them or not invite them is beyond me. And oh lord, I said I'm gonna start putting trans women or women on my my Facebook page once a week so that I can figure out who the trans folks are and I can because they just came. Courtney was in it. Stephanie, were you in it? That was the They came out in droves to defend what was a real woman versus a trans woman. So here's the thing. This the way that straight black women um frame the conversation about trans women, especially trans black women, is the reason why I had that whole daggone series on my show in the first place. That was literally because every goddamn day in the fucking shade room comments or any comments, you see that the transphobia is not just from straight black men. Yes. It's, it's not. not. It's us. It's straight black women too. Where they're just like, well, you ain't a real woman because you don't have any, you you can't give birth. There are straight black women, women that were born as women who can't have children. So does that mean they're not, they're less of a woman? No, of course not. You wouldn't say that. Or saying that you don't like trans women because they're competition for men to you. So first of all, bitch, you complain about men way too much for you to be like, oh, well, I got way too much competition. For Kevin, you can have them. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> it's like I, I, it's like y'all don't even see it in the in the watch this whole thing. It's just disgusting to me. I'm like, why are y'all doing this? But it's all, all of it, all every bit of it, whether it's from the men, from the women, it's all about us fighting for our for our masculinity, our femininity, our, mm-hmm. our rights as black people that was stripped away from us. I mean, we go back to, where does everything go back to? Slavery. Mm-hmm. I was explaining to somebody the other day that said that toxic masculinity was not real. And then at the same time, I was talking about black men who didn't like their haircut because I said, do you understand? They don't like it because it seems like it's a little bit too feminine. And that's toxic masculinity. You're being affected by it right now. Mm-hmm. It still didn't get it though. Because <laughs> so, that's what it, like black men are fighting for their rights to be men and quote unquote trans attracted. Oh no, we, I've got to figure out what that term was. They they use at the breakfast club instead of trans attracted. Trans amorous. I think because the Marxist plate talked about it too. I think they said trans amorous. 
And then, you know, you got black women who are still, I mean, we, we, I mean, we do have issues where we have the fighting for their autonomy of our bodies and fighting for healthcare and all, but trans women are not the people we are fighting, but we, as always, we choose the people who are smaller in our eyes to fight with because it's easier. It's Correct. easier than fighting Sarah, whose husband probably owned a hospital or something. I'm just going to fight these trans women over there. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So. I just, to me, it's, it's about, um, it's about protecting black people. And if members of our community are being attacked, if you're for black people, then you're about for protecting them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, if you all, my, my big thing about women, cisgender women is, and I said it on my post, I'm like, if you felt comfortable and then probably going back to what you were saying, Carolyn, about feeling like our femininity and, and womanhood was stripped of us during slavery and still having that trauma. I'm like, if you felt comfortable and secure in your own identity and your own womanhood, wh- whoever's gender identity, gender expression wouldn't even phase you. Because to me, mm-hmm. that's not even anything for me to form an opinion around. Because to me, it's no different than if you choose your name is whatever and you want to go by something else that is your choice that is how you choose to identify that is actually none of my business I mean when I say business because people are always like why does everyone have to put it out there it's you don't have to hide from it if this is your gender expression this is your identity that is your choice that is your life and me especially if we're talking about black trans folks me as a fellow black person, if I truly believe that all black people need to be respected and protected, that's just the end of the conversation. There's no, I need to formulate an opinion around it, or I need to learn how to tolerate it. There, tolerate to me is just learning how to hold your tongue around things that you don't mm-hmm. like. You mm-hmm. don't need, there's not, there's not even a, a, a thing about tolerating. This is who you are, then this is who you are, and that's it, period. I don't even need to form an opinion around it because this is who you are. And it's my job to respect you and protect you as a fellow black person. That's the end of the story. That's it. And if you want to, if you have a, if you're forming an opinion, if you feel the need to form an opinion, you need to check a, your privilege and really reevaluate what, what black liberation means to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. But I've learned that a lot of people are not, and it's so funny. You know, yes, listeners, I do pre-plan my Facebook posts. And I was going to post on Facebook. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are not invested in liberation until it's about their liberation. They're not invested in making sure that, that you know, people are not getting murdered until it's somebody in their family not getting murdered. So you have a lot of straight people who don't understand why they need to have these conversations about gays until they find out that their friend is gay. But I, I was telling somebody today, and I put it on, on Instagram, I think, we have framed this whole thing about um, about educating folks about people and respecting folks. And we framed it around saying it can be your mother, it can be your friend, it can be your sister, blah, 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 blah. We framed it around people having to tolerate and people understanding that it could be someone in their family. That's We have to get to a point where that's no longer acceptable. Because what we're now seeing is that people are against that anti-racist versus non-racist. You know, we have people who are saying, okay, I'm I'm not really with gay, but I'm with you though, because you're my friend. I don't I don't want that shit no more. 
Fuck because that. in because in the end, what's gonna happen is we're gonna have conversations like these uncomfortable conversations I've been having lately with people who you think are on your team. You hey, like, hey, but no, they're actually hella homophobic and transphobic as fuck. Like I said, mm-hmm. the, the person from that thread who I had to block, somebody who I have worked out with at the gym, somebody who has been in my house at my birthday party and all this kind of stuff, and that person is blocked and can go straight to fucking hell. Hmm. And but this is what this is how the same way that we have taught white children who are now white adults to just not look racist versus being anti-racist the same way that we have now been framing these questions about sexuality and gender and all the good things. Speaking of, let's go into our last topic of the night, which is Dave Chappelle's Sticks and Stones. Jesus. So Dave Chappelle, Sticks and Stones. Wait a minute, I want to make sure I have the official info up here in front of me. So Dave Chappelle recently had the um, series or the Netflix special Sticks and Stones, which debuted, I can't bring y'all, somewhere around August 26th or something like that. It appeared on Netflix. And basically, let me, for y'all who look to me on Instagram and Facebook and stuff to tell you stuff so you don't have to look at it, listen. I had avoided it. Because I saw enough clips to know that it was homophobic and transphobic and sexist bullshit. But I was challenged by someone who I'm not going to state their name. But they were because they felt that because they had watched the Netflix um, Tiffany Haddish series, They Ready, which featured mm-hmm. Flame Monroe, who will possibly be on the show soon. Don't quote me. Um, and they were like, well, I watched that with an open mind. So you need to watch Dave Chappelle with open mind. I said, I've already seen enough clips. I already know that it's bullshit. Somebody else on my Facebook page who has now since been blocked as well. Not for that, though. They were blocked for something else. Um, said the same thing. But how can you form an opinion? You know, because you hadn't seen it. So I went and saw it. Or I watched it. For the full first fucking 30 minutes, this dude is telling not just. See, here's the thing. I am a huge fan of black comedy. I always have been. And my favorite comics have always been folks like Martin and Bernie Mac and folks who have always been hilariously inappropriate. And yes, they do definitely ride the line of, they always have. Number one, some of their jokes would not hold up. Like Bernie Mac would not be able to do the milk and cookies joke from Kings of Comedy in 2019. But a good majority of a lot of their comedy would. I am not one of those people who has been a part of this movement for politically correct comedy. I think that it disproportionately affects black comics. But because I am such a fan of black comedy, such an an opponent of politically correct comedy, I can tell you that this special by Dave Chappelle, there ain't nothing a little bit inappropriate about it. It's just straight homophobic, transphobic bullshit for 30 fucking solid minutes. There is nothing redeeming about it. And then you have people who love the special and they love it for exactly the reason that Dave Chappelle did it because they feel that they can no longer say the things that they need to be said. They need to say that they want to say about the LGBTs. (laughs) Like, like Braveheart called and said that he was going to save America with this special. Well, yeah, he was because he's all he did was offend what women Gay folks, trans folks for 30 fucking minutes. Um, before I get into the rest of my thoughts, I'm going to ask you what you guys, because I know, Seth, you've already watched it. What were your thoughts on the Sticks and Stones special? So, this is what, the third or fourth Netflix special? Something like that. I 
here's the thing. One of the best storytellers I've ever seen in comic form is Dave Chappelle. Yes, absolutely. So that's, I think that's the biggest problem I have because one, he is really good at this. And a lot of the, the, the problematic parts of it, the, the, not only is he saying problematic shit, but he's doing it fucking lazily. I'm like, this that's the thing it's, that's like it's that's so the thing that kills me. It's lazy ass shit to go to. That's the thing and, that killed me because he used to be on that list with Martin and like I I still know all the Chappelle show episodes by heart. Mm-hmm. Like, and it seemed like he has I told someone it feels like he has lost confidence in his ability to simply make people laugh. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm sitting here watching this and the first, you're right. The first 30 minutes was like, what are you doing? And it's like, after like everyone saying, Hey, this is offensive to me. This is offensive period. Why do you keep going to that? Well, thinking, well, if I keep doing it, you know, one day y'all going to laugh. No nigga, I'm not going to laugh. Stop doing this shit. And the bad part about it is there's so much in your life that you could be making fun of or making jokes about that you don't. You're punching fucking down. And I'm sitting here like, it's interesting that you're not punching towards straight black men. They are literally safe from you. But that's because he is, you know, my good friend Kevin Powell has a book and I won't read the repeat the whole name, but the last the end of it is the last stand of the angry white man. Now, someone not that anyone, I can't remember who it was, always says that black men are the white people of black people. Yep. Hello, somebody. Yep. Because that's where that's where we get into right now. Cause right now, the same way that white people are upset about where we are in history, I can't say this and I can't do that. That's the same place. Black men are solidly there right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what this special was. Courtney, what were you were trying to say something? Um, one, I think I agree with ba- everything Stephanie said about Dave being an amazing storyteller. And it's like, you literally won't try to do anything else. And I think what, what he really missed out on opportunity was to just have an honest conversation about, this is hard for me. I have to relearn something I wasn't brought up doing and that's respecting people who are different from me. You can talk about that. You can talk about how honestly it's a challenge for you because you're relearning because it's it's like, like with me, I'm a black woman, straight black woman, I identify as Christian, but I had to learn a lot of my anti-blackness around Black people who might grow up impoverished and black women who, you know, we consider from the hood. You have to unlearn that stuff and it can be challenging. And I feel like he missed out on a good opportunity to talk about how we're all unlearning the harmful shit that we've been brought up with. That would have been funny. Yes. And he could have pointed that out like, you can't say this. And I'm like, shit, trying to figure out the best way to like get my point across to some people. Like he he missed out on that. And me, I will say this. I was completely disgusted with that whole Michael Jackson bit as a parent. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That was fucking gross. When this you motherfucker said that, hey, I got my dick sucked for the first time for Michael Jackson. What the poop? Huh? That's not like, who talks 
talks like that. Nobody talks like that. You're a fucking dad. What the fuck is wrong with you? Who says shit like that? No, that's not cool. A nine, 10, 11 year old getting head from a grown ass man. And that's not, I got my dick sucked. It was, I got molested and orally assaulted by a grown ass man. Let's hold up. Let's hold up though. Because sometimes you got to put your black man hat on. Okay. Put your black, because we had this conversation recently about a sexual assault in my city. All right. And the first question that the men around me asked was, was it, was they, was it a man or was it a woman? Was it a girl? Was it a boy? Because we got to remember that men, especially black men are taught that when you are, that when you have quote unquote, have sex for the first time as a young boy, that that's how it's supposed to be with a grown person. No, you're sexually assaulted by a grown. Like I didn't realize that conversation with a few of my friends. Yeah. Oh, I had sex with my babysitter at 11. No, nigga, you 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 were right. And you know what's really interesting about that? Where they'll look at women and go, why y'all don't care about us? Men get sexually assaulted. You know who don't care about men being sexually assaulted? Men. Men. Because I'd be damn sure if my 11-year-old came home and told me he had sex for the first time with a 25-year-old woman, guess who's going to jail? For the I was listening to one of my favorite songs from Santa Rita. I was listening to one of my favorite songs because you know I'm the cougar hunter, and I and and I and I used to love to listen to this song because it's a song by the group High Five. Y'all younger than me, I don't know if y'all love High Five. It's by the group High Five, and it talks about him being 15 and the woman being 25 and her pursuing him. And I'm like, oh shit, this is a song. This is just happened a couple of weeks ago when I came to that realization. Oh shit, this boy talking about being sexually abused, but he thinking, he thinking that as a man, like, oh, like I have, I'm having sex with this 25 year old woman. She wants it. Yeah, that's where that joke came from. I have told my male friends, I'm like, first of all, women your own age don't want you. <laughs> so if a woman, was checking for you while you were in high school and she was well into her 20s and 30s, something is the fuck wrong with her. Trust me. Because there is nothing interesting about a 15-year-old. There's nothing interesting about 35-year-old men for the most part. But, you know, yeah, you work it out because, you know, dick. So that's fine. But, there's, like, you niggas aren't that fucking interesting any fucking way for a old ass woman with her own house, job, car, whatever, to be intrigued by you. You're not that intriguing. Yeah, and I, don't. Said, I, you know, as a young woman, I got approached by grown ass men, but I knew that then. I'm not that interesting. I can't um, hold You knew, no, you knew stuff. that it was fucking wrong. Even when, because I mean, I'm same thing. And me and Courtney are kind of, if I may say, Courtney, without offending you, we kind of built the same. I had men on me all the time from the time I was like 12 years old, right? And you you do at some point maybe feel like, oh, okay, you you might feel a little way, but at the same time, as a girl, you know that shit is wrong. But boys are actively taught that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I'm going to tell Caleb straight up, like, you cute, but nigga, you're not that cool. You're not. No, you're not cool. You're you, not. You don't There's wash your nothing. ass good. You stink. Okay. Right. And if a grown ass woman is interested in you, something's wrong with her. And none of the niggas her age want her because she must be a weirdo because her ass is checking for you. Correct. And, and meanwhile, when when Dave Chappelle was making that joke about little boys getting their dick sucked by Michael Jackson, did y'all check out that joke he made about 36-year-old pussy not being good? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, I called it. I was like, oh, how interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, are you talking about your wife or who you talking about? Because how old is your wife again, sir? Yeah. You're not like, yeah. I'm sorry. I know that shouldn't count, but I found it anyway. The, the only thing that I found <laughs> interesting was about his R. Kelly bit. And I think it's because now, you know, niggas will still defend R. Kelly in a way as, you know, these girls is fast and, you know, you know, the, all the, the old pedophilia uh, premonitions about him being seduced again by a 14 year old, which somebody had made a good point. It's like, look, ain't no teenage girl fast enough for a nigga who don't want to get caught by one. Listen, so you him kind of calling R. Kelly to the carpet, I thought was interesting about how in now I had read the the same uh the same breakdown of the video that he was talking about in the special mm-hmm. about where R. Kelly just keeps saying how old the girl was. And it's like, nigga, are you slow? Like what is wrong with you? Why do you keep talking about this? Not like what is wrong with you? So I thought that was interesting, but I'm like, why are you, is it maybe because he always, he already said he didn't think Michael Jackson did it. So I'm like, maybe because R. Kelly obviously did it. And That's what I mean, he, said, he, yeah. he obviously did it, but. But you know what? Let me say this too. He obviously did it. Maybe now you don't have a problem calling him to the carpet. I feel like when it comes to dudes like Dave Chappelle, who have been in the industry a, a, a long time, who've been in the industry the same amount of time as the, as um, R. Kelly. And I felt this way. I was listening to Jamel Hill's podcast, Jamel Hill's Unbothered, which is also on Spotify, just like this, this podcast is. And I was listening to it. And I was listening to an episode with Johnny Gill. And Johnny Gill was talking about how R. Kelly was supposed to be in LSG. It was supposed to be Johnny Gill, Keith Sweat, um, uh, Gerald LeVert <laughs> and R. Kelly and I'm thinking to myself LSG came out in like 97, 98, something like that somewhere around, I forgot when the first I mean, I remember having people over to my dorm room shut up y'all, and listening to <laughs> LSG, so it was somewhere around there, 97, 98, 99 yep. um, I feel like it's so easy for all these dudes that's been in, in the game a long time to say that R. Kelly did it because they fucking knew they knew all because when I heard that interview with John Gill, and I wanted Jamel to add, and I knew she wasn't because it was going to spin them to a whole nother conversation. I wanted her to ask him about, well, did you guys know he was messing around with girls? I remember when I saw the tape, I saw the tape in somewhere around that time, 99, something like that. That's whenever a guy from the, the black man from that time here says something like that, I just feel like all these motherfuckers knew because I like I tell people all the time. I almost was one of them girls in the R. Kelly mansion. So I know, you know, the kind of areas where he was picking up. It wasn't that he didn't pick up these girls at McDonald's. You know, like when he was R. Kelly that didn't know that. He was picking up these girls at industry events, at award shows. The dude that I met um that was in the documentary, I met him at Midsummer Night's Magic at one of the hotels in LA. So I think that they all knew. So I get very like like triggered when I hear them say something like if you know I'm if I was a bit man, no, you fucking knew. That's it, and that's all on that. Mm-hmm. Ignorant bad. But I mean, I call it I call all this the last stand of the angry black man because I mean in some way between Dave Chappelle and Malik Yoba, it's for it is forcing black men to have these conversations. It's just the shit that's coming out of their mouth is just the most oh. It's hard trying to re-educate folks who are still very... I mean, 
black folks in general still have so many things that we are fighting for. But at the same time, you black men are not the most vulnerable. You are not the most oppressed as you think that you are. You have not been deceived by trans women. Okay. And you really don't have to. This is special, y'all. It's like he wrote a script for this for his jokes and he put in there that I'm just gonna say like it was an Archie Bunker moment for sure. For you listeners who are old enough to know, the whole thing with Archie Bunker and George Jefferson when Norman Lear wrote them is that he wanted to he wanted them as characters to say everything that was not supposed to be said on television so that we could have a conversation about them. But the thing about it is that the way that Norman Lear wrote those characters, they would say fuck shit and he they all had characters around them to correct them and tell them that this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Dave Chappelle clearly don't have nobody around him like that. And really, if all it's done is is have a galvanizing effect, similar to the way that Trump does with white supremacists. <clears throat> like, it's given them the opportunity to open it. Well, Dave Chappelle said it, so I, you know, I support Dave Chappelle. Mother- I just mm-hmm. want all people who are in a state of privilege Especially the men folk. It's just, it's just always the fucking men. And it'd be the women too. It'd, it'd be the pygmies, really. The pygmies, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, nigga, you're not a pr- Stop trying so hard to be oppressed. Just stop fucking trying. Like, someone saying you need to respect me is not you being fucking oppressed. Grow the fuck up. Talk about something else. And look, Dave Chappelle talk about the LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQIA community way too much for me. Mm-hmm. Like, what's, what's your real issue? He said himself that it, if anybody says something that offends you and talks about you all the time, if, if they find some sort of part. To me, I almost said, nigga, are you coming out? Because That's he said, what I feel. He, like, he what, said, anybody, he said it in that same special. Anybody that talks about you all the time and tries to offend you sees part of themselves in you. Yeah. Yeah, that's why he said he can't make it. He will make jokes. He was like, I pick on this community. He's like, I pick on the poor white community because I used to be poor. It's like, so do you pick on the, why do you pick on the LGBTQIA community? The alphabet people. He called us the alphabet people. The alphabet. It was like, the what? Can people people stop? Oh. No, no. The the joke that got it. The the joke that took it out. Seven letters. Calm the fuck down. There's 26. The joke that took it out was the, the story about standards and practices. The one where he talked about how standards and practices when he was filming, the Chappelle show told him that he could not say um, the word faggot. And he said, well, how come I get to say nigger? And they said, because you're not gay. He said, well, I'm not a nigger either. And it's like, so you're just, so it's all going completely over your head. And okay, you're- can, I, can I mention something about that when he said that shit? Because it actually made me mad. Yeah. I, we are all old enough to remember what happened on Chappelle's show on Comedy Central. Comedy Central is not saying fucking nigga on, on television. You only heard it on the fucking DVD. Nigga, fuck you. You are so full of shit. They ain't say nigga on Comedy Central. So why are you acting like they did? They bleeped it out. They bleeped it out. It's like you only heard it on the DVD. What are you talking about? Like even his points are from triggered, misinformed, bullshit black points. These are like this. Like he really is the drunk uncle at the at the cookout. Like it's shit. Mm-hmm. It's shit that you hear when you go to your family cookout and they slip into the homophobic conversation. All of it. <laughs> Oh man, and it's like self-interesting where they sit there and go, 
No, you shouldn't have to apologize. It's comedy, this, that, and the third. You know who apologized in 1996? Eddie fucking Murphy. Mm-hmm. And this was 96. Mm-hmm. No Twitter, no, none of this, is what we, no social media. This is 1996 and people were saying it. So this shit about saying, hey, stop attacking our community. This ain't new. You just got more people able to say it. But I just don't get the big thing about why can't you just like not be an asshole? And I feel like when people don't have nothing else to do, like you can still like nobody said you can't make jokes, but it's a punching down jokes. Mm-hmm. Like you just you have- ain't make no jokes about Trump. That's nope. an easy thing to make fun of. And you didn't. And that's what I was explaining to a friend when we were talking about Flame Monroe. Flame Monroe, I mean, is a is a transgender comic. Yes, she's making mm-hmm. jokes. And really, she did a lot of educating, too, because she took all the bullshit that folks t- say about trans folks and she turned them into jokes so she can then punch you with the real. She did. That's what she did in her old special, right? But the thing about it, as I explained to them, I said, Flame Monroe was making jokes about herself. As a trans woman, we're not even gonna get into the, the idea that she made those jokes to educate you. We just gonna say she made jokes about herself and her community. It was not her punching down and making jokes about other people, and it was definitely not her punchline being your your standard uh, elementary school gay joke punchline. Because that his punchlines wasn't nothing but like like the people that like those jokes are the people who still laugh at shit from the kindergarten schoolyard. Mm-hmm. And you have, and you have to get to a point where you start to understand that you're like, you know, I I love you, but you know, it's hella funny. You have to get to the point where you start to understand. It's kind of like um, desirability politics when you say that's just what I like. That's just what I like. But you have to understand that you were taught a certain Eurocentric standard of beauty. That's why you like what you like. Well, the jokes that you like, you you liked them because you were taught. That certain things were funny. You were taught that gay identity was funny. You were taught that trans people were funny. So yes, you did think it was funny, but you can also unlearn that shit too. Mm-hmm. And that's what he don't want to do. His old ass, he wants to be an old crotchety drunk man and just say whatever the fuck he wants to because it's too much work to have to come up with new material. Yeah, And I'm just like, he was in Atlanta and they're just cracking, cracking up. up. Just laughing and laughing. I'm like, this shit is not funny. And then people, I guess uh, Bill Burr came out with a special. Here, here's every oppressed black man on Facebook. Well, where's that? Where's that outrage about Bill Burr? First of all, Bill, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I only heard that nigga's name because y'all are bringing it up. White men aren't my concern. Black men are my concern. Black men are your mm-hmm. community. You're in my community. I don't know who the fuck. Let white women check Bill Burr. I don't the deflection know is so tiresome. It's like, well, what about this white man? You mean the white man is married to a black woman? Okay. You still the, trash though. So we can do both. And the the Daily Beast published a very good op-ed article. It talked and they talked about um, both Dave Chappelle and Kevin Hart. And their privileged LGBTQ blind spots. We're not going to get into Kevin Hart because we are going to be taping a filmed rebuttal to what happened with Kevin Hart and Lil Nas X. But oh, we, we, well, I know it's going to be fun. Um, but we will. I will say this about what happened with Lil. We can. I mean, I can bring it up and we can tie it in, and people can still watch the film thing. But they were talking about how 
you know, the thing was that they were on an episode of The Shop and it's seven, six or seven straight men, presumably, mm-hmm. sitting <laughs> in the shop, <laughs> sitting in the shop talking about things that quote unquote make them great and talking about their journey, blah, blah, blah. And Lil Nas X, someone asked, the moderator asked him about, well, you did a very big thing, you know, what is it that you did? And he explained about coming out. And at the time he was number one on Billboard when he came out and, you know, all this stuff. And so, and Kevin Hart responded like, well, I mean, he said he was gay. So what? Let's talk about this idea of that, about the privilege that you have in ignoring the conversation. They talked about it on The Breakfast Club as well. But the privilege in that, People still people think that that is supporting the community if you don't talk about it. Well, why do we we shouldn't have to talk about it? You should just be loved. We shouldn't have to talk about it. Well, we're getting murdered too, though. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, but I mean, to me, they both tie together. They're both about, They're both about black mm-hmm. folks who don't want. They don't. They still consider gay to be a white thing too. If you've noticed, that's 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 the biggest thing about it is that they will equate queer shit to white shit ignoring all the black people in the queer shit. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, it, so I think that's where the cognitive dissonance really comes to why a lot of black people have no problem with what Dave Chappelle said because they think queer shit is white shit. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, oh, okay, well, well, I mean, what's the problem? I mean, I mean, you talk about white people. Yeah, there happen to be white queer people over there, but what about all the black and brown people over there too that y'all conveniently forget about as if Black queer people have not been at the forefront, of the everything. background, and the backbone, and a whole lot of things in our country. Well, David John made the a bus good boycott, point. Pride Month, Black Lives Matter. That's three big ones right there. Transformers. And y'all love James Baldwin, but y'all really leave out the fact that he is a black gay man. All the time. Well, David Johns made a good point when he was on The Breakfast Club. He talked about how queer and how how coming out, he said coming out is for white people. He said Mm -hmm. because, you know, coming out created a space where they can be political around that queer identity. It's a story that they tell to affirm that that political stance where they can go then go into communities and create these neighborhoods where they can be together and be gay. But black queer fe- people still usually live in communities with black people mm-hmm. because they're either, you know, j- disproportionately poor, um, disproportionately unemployed, and all these different social factors that, you know, black folks still gonna live together. Right. And, but for, but for black people, queer identity is still something completely set aside. Like they're like, go to the neighborhood because we don't want that gay shit over here anyway. And that's why we have to have more black queer people in the conversations because really both of them is usually, I say this all the time. These conversations are usually white gay people and black straight people talking to each other as if black queer people don't exist mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And I felt bad for Lil Nas X because, you know, he's a, a cool kid and, you know, he, you know, very well articulate and all that kind. He wasn't ready to defend himself and he shouldn't have had to. He should not have been put into that position. Um, I don't like to police, you know, anybody's ability to, you know, articulate a message or anything like that. But you can just tell by the, the way that he responded to Kevin Hart saying that he wasn't prepared to have to launch into this this well thought out diatribe about why black queer representation was important, blah, 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 blah. He just right. came out. He's 21. <laughs> right. And he's also, he also seems like a kind of person where he's like, 
I don't have time for this. Right. He just <laughs> wants to have fun. And he's probably, and the thing about it is he would, it, it, it's like you expected it to come up some way, but I think the response to it, because a lot of people going, it's no big deal, was Charlemagne and Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. And it was like, y'all two really should not be the loudest people here. And it does not help that Kevin Hart was drunk off his ass the entire episode. Yeah. And he overtalked everybody on that episode. It wasn't just that discussion. Because when Kevin Love was talking about mental health, he kind of tried to overtalk him too. So it, it, it's like, it didn't help that his ass was drunk on this episode. That don't help. That don't help. But then someone had put up a post and they had said, y'all wanted, uh, it was, it was, in defense of Lil Nas X and people feeling like he didn't need to be going back and forth with them. It's like, you don't need to explain yourself to niggas that can't even explain themselves to their wives. So just I mean, don't, don't. I mean, Charlamagne, go ahead. I'm sorry, Courtney, go ahead. No, Because it's, I mean, <laughs> like Kevin <laughs> and Charlamagne have had very publicly problematic moments within mm-hmm. their marriages and about their own sexual history. So both marriages. <laughs> child, literally both. And then I don't know what's going on with this recent car crash, but uh somebody wasn't <laughs> Kevin and they keep saying Kevin's friend, but it's Kevin's friend who? Kevin's mm-hmm. friend like what? Teddy Pendergrass. Right, like <laughs> what's going on? So it's like he didn't um he didn't need to be putting into that. Also, them niggas, I, I feel like they have, they both have those type of personalities where if they're not the center of attention, they have a problem with it. Yeah. Correct. Why Kevin was over talking everyone because his ass was drunk. He needs to be the center of attention. And I feel like Lil Nas X has a very cool, collected, um, bright demeanor about himself. Like he, he, there's a lot of, I like his whole aura and his whole his whole vibe and his whole swag. He just very put together. And I like that. He looks like, oh, like you hella cool. But um I just feel like he brings attention, like good energy and attention to himself, no matter what kind of where he is and what he's doing. He just kind of he looks like a star to me. Mm-hmm. And Kevin doesn't, Charlemagne also does not. And I feel like there was some, because he's on the rise. Lil, Lil Nas X is on the rise. Kevin hasn't been funny now for like four years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm being graceful with that. So it's that like, Kevin ain't never been funny to me, but you know, I'm old. But so. he, you know, he's kind of just like loud now. And so he's kind of on, he, he's peaked and he's kind of on his, his way out. And then Charlemagne is just, you know, Charlemagne. So it's like, and here's this young, upcoming, attractive star, you know, and why why does it matter? You know why it matters, Kevin. You know why the fuck it matters. And I might have explained anything for your dumb short. As many gay jokes as you made, you know why it matters. Let me ask you this. How do I mean I'm not I'm asking this to be a devil's advocate. Uh Charlemagne asks, always find him out himself in some gay conversations. Discuss. Wait. I said, I, I don't, I, all, these, all these gay conversations, it's always, it's, it's always, it, never mind. I might have to edit no, that part out. No, mm-mm. no, it, it's weird when it, 
I honestly don't blame the way that Lil Nas X handled himself. And I also don't blame him for how he responds. I'm not mad at Kevin Hart, but I ain't telling anybody how else to feel either. Right. He know how to to walk that line. Because all he had to do, Kevin Hart, like, if he just responded to Kevin Hart, like, well, I mean, I wasn't afraid nobody was going to hit me with no dollhouse or anything. But, you know. That would have changed the whole Wait, where did he say? conversation. That wasn't in the episode, was it? Did I miss that? You know, I'd be going no. to see my No. But what if he did? That would have oh. changed the whole energy of the room. Mind you, they could have edited that shit out because it's not like this was airing live. Oh, no. It's like, so if, so I don't blame the way that he reacted, but I do know Kevin Hart would not have reacted that way if it was Billy Porter sitting there. No. One, because Billy Porter would have ate his ass alive. You're like, please, something. Yeah. Please say something. And he wouldn't have reacted. I'm, and I'm just thinking about people who was just bigger than Kevin Hart's little ass. Like, mm-hmm. you, I love motherfuckers like uh, fucking... Somebody asked me the other day about um, EJ Johnson, Maddie Johnson. Like, EJ Johnson is big. You can talk shit if you want to. He's over six feet tall. You can talk shit if ass. you want to. In some heels. You can talk mm-hmm. shit if you fucking want to. And no, he wouldn't have did that with Billy Purse. Billy, and that's why I say, like I said, I don't want to police Lil Nas X's reaction or his or no, his ability to not. articulate what he said. But if it was somebody like a Billy Porter, like you said, oh, he would have he would have schooled him to the point they would have shut down the production. That would have been the end of the show. Ain't it would have been say. a story about like this happened on the taping of like uh, it, it wouldn't have been nothing else to say after Billy Porter got finished educating and reading at the same time. Mm-hmm. Shade came from reading. Reading came first. So I just want to throw that in for no reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't drink today while we read the, while we taped the show, and I feel a little bit off balance. I don't have no liquor in my system. Oh, oh, neither did I. Ooh, this. Ooh, I know, this is child. sober Stephanie. This Y'all is, welcome. <laughs> like this is uh, this is different. I'm in I'm in Dry County till spring, so that's oh, oh yeah, that's right. I'm not hanging out with you at the at the meetings in Long Beach then, because you're no fun. Can't take you to the gay club. Yeah, you can't take me. I'm a designated driver, but we probably gonna have to go at like eleven because I'm gonna be sleepy. <laughs> we probably gonna have to go at ten because I'm. I mean, I might not be pregnant, but I'm old and I don't actually want to go there. I'm just gonna go. To say I went. Right, you can take me. I'm the Kit Porter case. <laughs> I'm not. You know, I was about to say something about the, the about the L word reboot. Um, oh dear Jesus! But I saw that commercial and I went. Have you, you seen it? You have you seen what Bet's Life Update is? Yes, and I went. Oh, have, uh, Courtney, have you seen what Bet's Life Update is? No. Bet Porter is running for mayor of West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Oh. And she doesn't an No, isn't she the one that got a sister now? Wait. Her, her girl is a sister now. Isn't that her? Wait, her her you mean her daughter? No, her she's not with what you call. She's with oh, wait, I mean, wait, I must not have seen that trailer. Wait, hold on. Oh, I gotta go back and find that trailer. Wait a minute, what? I thought I thought um, Beth's lady is blackmail. Beth, uh, uh, y'all, we gonna have to sign off because I gotta go watch. This, uh, <laughs> I didn't see that trailer. I 
didn't see that. And you know why that's important? Because remember, we talked, and maybe we did talk about this on the L Word Mega Review episode. Because oh, in so season much. two of the L Word, when they had that big um, blow up where, you know, Bet has to really confront her feelings about being a biracial woman and how people see her in the world. And, and someone actually comes at her about how the fact that she lives in a quote unquote white space. Do you remember who that was? No. It was played. It was played by old girl that plays Carissa on Greenleaf. <laughs> I don't see. I don't watch Greenleaf, so I don't know. Oh, I was just. I was watching. I think it was before we did that episode, and I did not have my my eyes on the screen, but I heard that fucking voice. I said, "Wait a minute!" And I turned. I said, "This bitch was on the L word. They need to kill her ass off of Greenleaf, so she can come back to the L word." Because I'm sick of Carissa. Oh, I know. This sounds lovely. I don't know who this is. <laughs> anyway, they need the killer in Jesus' name. Okay, uh, Stephanie, where can the people find you in the interwebs? So on Blue Ivy's internet, you can find the Mocha Menace podcast um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, um, iHeartRadio, um, any podcaster that you use. You can find me on um, Twitter at SunnyTwote that you can find the show facebook instagram twitter at mocha minutes all right and courtney where can people find you in blue ivy not uh in blue ivy's internet <laughs> well now that sir and Rumi are here you know they're two they're almost two and a half so i also think it's partially their internet but we can get into that another time so you can find me on facebook Courtney Cecilia Welch. Uh, you can find me on Instagram underscore short Courtney underscore and on Twitter at short Courtney. Uh, Caleb, where you at? You mean where is he on the internet? No, where is he in the house? Oh, <laughs> I don't hear him. Uh oh. Left. I don't know. Caleb, are you in the house? <laughs> okay, he's in the house. Okay, wait. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Listeners, I just want you to know it is 9.07 p.m., but we didn't know whether or not Caleb was in the house. I mean, I didn't hear a door open. I just, hi, Poopa. Can I walk? Yes. Walk where? I can walk to my room. Oh, Lord. Is Caleb ready to say hi as we sign off? Caleb, can can you say hi? Hi. Okay. Oh, hi. He said hello. Okay. Oh, so you can, you can find me on Facebook as Dub Carolyn. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as C-Dub the host. You can find the C-Dub show across all social media platforms as the C-Dub show. Make sure that you have not just listened, but that you have subscribed on all places where you get your podcasts. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Speaker, and now on Spotify. You can visit us at the SSNpodcast.com and you can email us at the show at gmail.com. That is the end of our episode. We want to thank you, Stephanie, for visiting with us again. We have you anytime. You are welcome in this space. Yes. The, the kit porter of the group. And yep. we will see all you good folks later. Bye, everybody. Bye. Yes.
The C-Dub Show.